Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I'd like to carry out this portion of our service in a different way than what we normally do. Uh, this will mimic, uh, to some extent, what uh, our home groups are doing tonight. Um, I don't want to try it, and you can give me feedback later on on if you think this is a good route to go here or not. As you know, we're beginning, uh, I began this morning a series entitled Kings, and this series will take us right up to Christmas. In fact, uh, we will deal with a new, an Old Testament king every Sunday morning between here and the, uh, not, the, not the Sunday before Christmas, but the Sunday before the Sunday before Christmas. And then on the Sunday before Christmas, we will still be in this series, but we will then go into the one New Testament king who's worth anything about talking about, and that is Jesus. Because all these kings lead up to the king of kings. And uh, what better time to think about the king of kings than on the Sunday before we celebrate the fact that he came. So that's the uh, plan for this series. Uh, Kings is a study that is fascinating to me because of uh, the, the different personalities of kings in Old Testament Israel and then later the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. If I understand the scripture correctly, God never really wanted them to have an earthly king. He wanted to be their king. And of course, centuries later in Jesus, he actually is there and our king. But God really resisted giving them an earthly king. In fact, there's some indication that when he finally did give them an earthly king, he gave them one earlier than what he had anticipated giving them out of their own request for a king. Um, As early as Deuteronomy chapter 17, keep in mind, the books of Moses are considered to be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was a series of four or five messages that Moses preached in Moab after having led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. The children of Israel about to cross over Jordan into the land of Canaan. But keep in mind that of the 12 tribes that were there, there are only families from mainly two tribes that remembered what they'd been through in Egypt. All the rest of the tribes were made up of young whippersnappers who didn't live in Egypt. Moses is afraid. He's very much afraid they're going to forget the stories. They're going to forget the history. And so in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is a a Greek word, deuter means uh, two or second, and nomos means law, second law. What, What Moses really does in Deuteronomy is he reviews their law and their history. And over and over again he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget his precepts. Well, it's in Deuteronomy that he makes this statement, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, when you have come to the land which the Lord your God will give you and you possess it and you dwell there and you say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me, 
You shall in any wise set him over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not set a stranger over you, who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord has said to you, you shall henceforth return never again that way. So this is Deuteronomy 17. This is part of one of the addresses of Moses on the, on the eastern side of Jordan in Moab. And he tells them then, one of these days you're going to have a king. Now they would cross over Jordan and then there would be like about a 30 to 40 year period of conquest. And then there would be about a 300 to 400 year period of the judges. And then they would finally get the king that they had wanted all this time. And here Moses is, somewhere between 330 to 430 years before this fact, he is predicting this is what's going to happen. God is going to give you a king. So God knows all along that he's going to give them a king. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, God tells the prophet Samuel, he's the main guy, he's the main mouthpiece of God. And and God tells Samuel, he says, there's a guy I want you to go and I want you to anoint. He's the one who will govern my people. And when uh, when Samuel saw him, the moment he saw him, God says, that's the guy I was telling you about. He was huge. He was handsome. He was uh, a whole head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He was uh, in shape. He was authoritative, and yet he was humble. He's this big teddy bear of a guy who when Samuel says, you're going to be the king, he says, me? I'm from the little bitty tribe of Benjamin. And within Benjamin, I'm from the little bitty clan of Miltri. Can't be me. And Samuel says, no, you're the one. That was the private coronation. Later in chapter 9, You have the public coronation. Samuel gets up and he announces to the people they're going to have this king and the king's name is Saul and he announces his name and Saul is nowhere to be found. Where is he? So they ask the Lord, Lord, is he here? And the Lord says, yeah, he's back there in the storage barn among the supplies. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? We're going to have this big speaker to come and speak some well-known person who everybody is just crowding into the sanctuary to hear, well, where is he? It's time to introduce him. Where is he? Oh, my goodness, nobody, can know, nobody knows where he is. God, where is he? He's hiding down in the bus barn. It's kind of weird. He has humility that is admirable, and yet he has this kind of wussy type attitude that is not so admirable. We find out that he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now that's a problem. I don't know if you realized that this morning when I read to you that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's a problem. And I'll tell you why it's a problem. Because back in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is about to die. He brings his 12 sons together before him and he calls them by name and he pronounces blessing upon them, each one of them. Now, I want you to notice 
verse number 8, beginning with verse 8 and going through verse 10. Judah. He's going through these boys' names. He calls Judah. Judah, you are the one whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Because Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you are gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? And then verse 10, watch this. Do you hear this? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Shiloh. Until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, did you hear that? The scepter shall never depart from Judah. The scepter is the king's scepter. Jacob is predicting something that would come centuries later. I don't even know if he realized exactly what he was actually saying, but he was predicting that the future king, which was a long way off, would never depart from the tribe of Judah. Oh, my goodness. Saul was not from Judah. He was from Benjamin. But the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Later on, when David is chosen to be king, do you remember the scenario with David? Samuel goes to Jesse's house. Remember that in Bethlehem? David is either one of eight brothers or he has eight brothers. It's a little cloudy in Scripture as to whether there are nine or eight of them. But David's out in the pasture. He is the least kingly looking of the Jesse boys. And so when Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he says, can you bring your boys over before me? Jesse brings the other boys before Samuel. And one boy would come up and I guess he looked a lot like Saul did. Strong, big, tall, good looking, full of potential. And so Samuel would think, this, this has got to be it. And God says, no, that's not it. And the next one, well, he must be it. Mm, God says, no, he's not. Well, the next one, that must be, no, he's not the one either. And, and finally, all of the boys except for David had come before Jesse. And David wasn't in the house. You recall that. And so Samuel says to Jesse, do you not have any more boys? And Jesse said, well, I have one more. David, he's kind of ruddy looking, he's not very kingly looking, he's out there with the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him in. And they brought him in, and the moment Samuel saw him, God says, he's the one. For God does not look on the outer appearance, he looks on the heart. So what was up with Saul? Why did God give them Saul? So I gave you some notebook paper there. I want you to write this question down. Why do you think, why do you think God chose Saul as king? Now, just write that down, and in a moment, 
I want us to talk a little bit about that. Why did God choose Saul as king? And here's the basis of my quest, the bases of my question. Number one, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, not Judah. And Jacob predicted that the scepter would not depart from Judah. In fact, beginning with David, David was from the tribe of Judah, and all the way down they came from the tribe of Judah, and Jesus came from the ultimately the tribe of Judah. So what's the deal with Saul? When God chose David, he was looking for looking on the heart. And he didn't look like much on the outside. Saul, on the other hand, looked like much on the outside. But there's not one thing mentioned about his heart, except, except, watch this, the day Samuel went to him and told him that God had rejected him as king, here's what he said. God has rejected you as king. I will go and God will send me to find someone who is after his own heart. Meaning, Saul was not. Why do you think that God chose Saul? Now, I'd like for you to take about just a minute or two or three and write down why you think God chose Saul. Why? It doesn't make any sense. So write it down. Write it down. Go ahead. Why did God choose Saul? He was impressive in his outer appearance. Why did God choose Saul? He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Why? Why? Why do you suppose? Now, I mentioned to you something else here while we're thinking about this question. Earlier, I said that some people think that God gave them a king before he actually wanted to give them a king. And that Saul was the king that he gave them, but that Saul was premature. He gave them a king because they wanted one, not because it was time for them to have one. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly the case. That's what some people believe. So here's the, here's the second question that I'd like for you to write an answer to. Tell me why you do believe or don't believe that Saul was a premature king. Tell me why you do or do not believe that Saul was a premature king. On one hand, God did choose him. Why or why not Saul was a premature king? All right, so we have two questions that we're dealing with right here off the start. The first one is, why did God choose Saul? Why did God give them Saul, considering the fact he wasn't from the tribe of Judah? He was from Benjamin. And considering the fact that, evidently, he didn't have God's heart, in mind, so why do you think he did? I need somebody, a couple of folks, to give me what you think, what your answer might be. Give me, a, give me a raised hand so I can come to you. Give me a raised hand. Come on. 
Let's roll. All right, Peg. Why? I think because it made a good contrast. You've got kingly looking versus kingly character. He was interested in character, but the people needed to be able to compare and say, look, this, this guy looks like a king. Okay. All right. Somebody raised a hand back here. Stan Johnston. Wait a minute. Here we go. Why did he choose Saul, Stan? He chose Saul because Saul could not be the king because he's from the wrong tribe. And the people, had he chosen somebody from the tribe of uh, Judah, there would always have been a following of him. So it would have, uh, God always had David in mind, and David wasn't born yet. And okay. the people demanded a king. So he gave him one. That's what I think. All right, all right. John? When the people asked God to give them a king, they wanted a king like the surrounding nations had asked for which meant they wanted somebody who they thought would defend them and somebody that they could put their trust in, meaning they no longer put their trust in God. They were looking for an earthly authority to replace their heavenly authority, and God gave them what they wanted. He gave them a man who could lead them in battle, but he did not give them a man who would lead them to God. All right, awesome. Notice this. God wanted that to be their king, right? Hello? He did. God wanted to be their king. They wanted, though, and John's right, they wanted a king like the, other, the kings of other nations. In other words, God, we want a king, but we don't want a king like you. We want a king like what they have. Now, the king that God wanted to give them was going to come from the tribe of Judah and would have not an outward appearance, though he may have had it, but that wasn't the main deal. It was the inner heart. But they weren't asking for a king like God. They were asking for a king like everybody else had. God gave them what they wanted. So they wanted somebody with a physical appearance. David David ended up not having a physical appearance worth anything. And they, they wanted someone who had no heart. They wanted somebody like them. Now, this brings up another question. This brings up another question that I just thought of while I was listening to you all speak. And here's this question. I want you to write down an instance where God gave you something that He didn't want you to have. But He gave it to you because you wanted it. When God gave you something that He didn't want you to have, but He gave it to you because you wanted it. Hmm. Maybe you don't have an instance like that. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Can anybody, did anybody write down uh, an answer to that and that would dare to give us uh, what it is? Anybody? Miss Sarah. Miss Sarah, 
What's something that God gave you that he didn't want to give you, but he gave it to you because you asked for it? I was director of nursing and for the uh, company that provided health care for the Department of Corrections in Delaware, the entire state, and they changed uh, ownership, and ownership usually never uh, retained the executive staff. And I prayed hard, hard to keep that job, and I did. And it nearly killed me. And I knew that God did not have me where I needed to be. All right. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Anybody else have a, a, an instance where you, you, God gave you something that he really didn't want you to have, but he gave it to you because you wanted it? Anybody? Anybody else? Richard Munn. Richard Munn. My story is similar to that. Uh, when I was about fourth grade in South Carolina, I had saved my money to buy a football. And I went in the little general merchandise store to pay for the football. And I think it was three ninety-nine. And so when I took it up there, the guy said, what is this football, two ninety-nine? And I said, yes, sir. And I, I saved a dollar. And the first time I kicked the football, it landed on the fence and punctured. And I, I remember that that I had cheated to get that football, and I kicked it one time, and it was no good anymore. That was pretty bad, Richard. That was really bad. That was pretty. You shanked it. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bad. One of the kings that we will deal with later in this series was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. He was one of the good kings. Isaiah talks about Hezekiah. So does Chronicles talk about Hezekiah. One day, God sent Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah. And he sent him with this message. You need to set your house in order for you will die and not recover. And so Hezekiah, rather than setting his house in order, he goes back and he begs God to give him more time. Praise to God. I mean, gets on his face. And so the Bible says that God tells Isaiah, says, all right, I've heard Hezekiah praying and uh, I've relented of what I was going to do to him. I want you to go back to him and tell him I've heard your prayer and I'm responding to your prayer. I'm going to give you 15 more years. And so Isaiah went to Hezekiah, told him he had, God was going to give him 15 more years. He was healed of the disease that he had. And it was during that extra 15 years of his life that Hezekiah and his wife had a son named Manasseh, who was the sorriest king in the joint history of the divided kingdom. And it all started when God gave Hezekiah something that he did not initially intend for him to have, 15 more years. But Hezekiah wanted it, and he asked for it, and he humbled himself to get it, and God gave it to him. All right? Now, I gave you another question, but I've forgotten what it was. What was it, Jack? Do you believe Saul was 
The premature. All right. How many of you, let me have a show of hands, whether or not you believe that Saul was a premature king. In other words, he, God, God gave, them the, him, gave, gave them Saul as king before, they actually, before he actually wanted them to have a king. All right? If you believe that he was premature king, raise your hand. All right? If you believe that he was not premature king, raise your hand. All right, great. We have a split vote here. That's what I like. All right, so I want to come over here to Chris Gould and ask Chris. He, he was the first to raise his hand that he thought Saul was a premature king. Is that right? So I, I, tell us why you believe that Saul was a premature king. I still believe that they, God, intend, God, God intended on uh, Saul uh, being his, their king, not Saul being his king. So I think it was, uh, it was premature because if they waited on God to, to provide them a king, he would have in the person of David, not in the person of Saul. But because Saul, they, they begged, they wanted a king. He was premature. God said, okay, and they got what they asked for. All right. Now, Jack Woodall said he does not believe. You said he, you don't believe he was premature. All right, explain why, why you feel that way, Jack. Well, all right, so God knows everything, is everywhere, is all time. Okay. So I think he said, all right, you want a king? Have a king. You're going to learn from this. It's going to hurt, but it's the only way you're going to learn. So he did it on purpose in his time, which was then. Because he knew they needed to learn from it. Okay. And why do you think then uh, uh, after, after uh, in Genesis saying that, was, that he was going to come from the tribe of Judah, that he brought him from Benjamin? Oh, that's a test for Samuel. That, that was, I didn't jump in on number one. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, a crazy thing about Saul, as I mentioned this morning, he starts out really good. He's humble. He realizes that he comes from small, a small tribe and the smallest clan in the smallest tribe. Even though uh, the opening verse of 1 Samuel 9 says that, that th- his family, the family of Kish, Saul's father, was a family of standing. But that wasn't what um, Saul drew attention to. He drew attention to, the, to their smallness, right? So he was humble at first. He, he had... Uh, he had Talents, abilities, gifts, presence. And then, of course, it wasn't long before he went downhill from there, right? He was impatient and went ahead and and offered a sacrifice that should have been only Samuel's to offer. That's one thing that happened. When he went out to defeat the Amalekites and the Ammonites, he didn't didn't destroy all of them like God had told him. And and those two things combined resulted in, in Samuel saying, you're rejected as king. God's going to go look for somebody after his own heart. And then, didn't mention this this morning, then Samuel dies. Now, even though Samuel and Saul had this friction between them, Samuel was the rock that Saul leaned upon during hard times. I mean, if he wanted to hear a word from God, he goes straight to Samuel. No second-rate prophet for Saul. He goes straight to Samuel. Samuel is now dead. But Saul is still king. And he comes up in a big confrontation, and he doesn't know which way to go. Do you remember what he did? He went to a witch and had her conjure up Samuel's spirit. And the Bible said that the ghost of Samuel came, where would you suppose Samuel would come from? 
It came up out of the ground. The ghost of Samuel came up out of the ground. I'm not making this up. You can go check it out. The ghost of Samuel comes up out of the ground and gives a message to Saul. I read two different opinions this week about what that ghost was. Some said it was really the ghost of Samuel. Others people said that it was only uh, a, a demonic ghost made to look like Samuel. So I want you to write down which one you think it is and tell me why. Was it truly Samuel or do you think it was a demonic imposter? He did come up out of the ground. He didn't come down from heaven. (laughs) But then again, ancient Jews thought everybody went to the ground. All right. Which one is it? Which one is it? Was it really Samuel and a divine message from Samuel? Or was it a a demonic imposter? Yes. Some folks are praying about the answer. Some are deliberating it with their peers. Yes. Yes. Do you have an opinion about that, Doug Kearns? As to which one it was? Do you? All right, let me, let's hear what your opinion is. Doug Kearns. probably Samuel because if I remember right he spoke the truth if I remember right on Mm -hmm. that and that's why I think it was probably Samuel even though uh, the uh, witch wasn't supposed to or or Saul wasn't supposed to go to uh, a witch or anything like that to contact the dead but I still think it was probably Samuel but now, now if, he, if he's not supposed to go to a witch, which he wasn't, and if Samuel, the ghost of Samuel, does come, comes up out of the ground and not down from heaven, I mean, how can God bless him going to a witch? And how can Samuel, I mean, I'm assuming Daniel, Samuel is up in heaven, so why would he come out of the ground if it's really Samuel? Well, I think at that time, uh, they were in paradise, not heaven. It was after uh, Jesus rose is when uh, everybody went to heaven. All right. God came out of a burning bush. What? God came out of a burning bush, not from heaven. All right. All right. So Doug Kern says he believes that ghost was Samuel. Does anybody anybody here who does not believe that it was Samuel, but maybe it was a demonic imposter? Miss Fran, how about you? I don't think it was. I think it was a ghost. Uh, you think it was a ghost? Uh, not from God. Oh, so you think it was like a demonic imposter or some imposter. And why do you feel that way? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I just don't feel like God works that way. It's just not normally the way God works, right? Okay, all right. Anybody else who who thinks that it was real or demonic? Raise your hand, anybody? I think it was real because he prophesied that nobody could prophesy but God. Stan said he believed it was real because he prophesied nobody could prophesy but God. 
Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Fran's got something to... Well, what about Samuel? He prophesied. It was from God, but um, I think it's possible. Possible. Well, the Bible's full of false prophets. Yeah. Did they ever speak the truth? No, but... Ever? They were prophets, though. They weren't from God, but they were still... Okay. I think Stan's point is... If it was not the real prophet, then he could not have prophesied the truth. If he was not the real prophet, then what he prophesied would not have been true. My question is, and I, I, I'm trying to think, was there ever a false prophet who said something that was true? And I don't know, I'm just thinking. But the truth that he prophesied was obviously evident. I mean, oh, it was already evident? What did it say? First Samuel 28. Okay. It's also where he says, all right, don't ask me. God's rejected you. You and all your men are going to die tomorrow. So it was true. You're going to die tomorrow. That was it. Did he say how? Nope. But the next day, Saul took his own life. Could that be a self-fulfilling prophecy? Could be. I don't know. He believed it. Regardless of who it was from. What's that, Stan? Yeah. I, I guess the question for me uh, with regard to the identity of this ghost, whether it was truly Samuel or not, lies in whether or not a false prophet could actually tell the truth. I mean, I do remember... That there was a donkey who spoke one time. I'm using the generic term. The, uh, the, I'm do, using the pasteurized term of this thing, if you recall. Um, so, I, you know. The donkey just said, I'm not going any further, didn't he? Because I see something you don't. That's right. All right. Okay, well, we're out of time. I, I appreciate you... Uh, Help me with this discussion time. Saul is uh, an interesting enigma in the Old Testament, among the Old Testament kings. He didn't come from the right tribe. He didn't have the right characteristics in terms of God looks on the heart, not the physical presence, and yet his was physical presence. He did start out with potential and humility, but he quickly went downhill to ruin God changed his heart, yes. Well, which way did God change his heart? If he was humble before, how did God change his heart? I mean, that's a big question. All right, let's, let's, let me just ask you this question with a show of hands. When God changed his heart, how many of you believe, and here's, here's the whole question, how many of you believe that he changed his heart in a good way versus how many of you believed he changed his heart in a bad way? Yeah, he was more, he liked the private kind of stuff. How many of you believe that God changed his heart in a good way? Raise your hand. All right, and how many of you believe that he changed his heart, God changed his heart in a bad way? Raise your hand. Okay, what about that? Hmm. My wife raised her hand. Oh, no.
You're exactly right, baby. Exactly right. You're exactly right, baby. <laughs> I didn't fall off a truck on my head. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right, baby. That's exactly right. All right. I want I want to thank y'all for being here tonight. Let's uh, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for the kings, for those who are good, especially godly, but also for those who are bad, because we can learn from their lives. Lord, help us to have a character of person of humility, character of trust. Lord, where there is uh, frailty in our hearts, change our hearts in a good way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.